Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2292. Today we're going to be talking about 3D vision technology. The future is here today. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Lincoln, Massachusetts, with a very special guest by the name of Brad Rosen. Brad, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready, ready to rock. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into this uh, futuristic world that you're bringing to us today, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Brad? Not related, related to automotive, but I, I, uh, I don't share with many people that I have a pilot's license. Oh, a pilot. Very cool. Yeah, I, I did spend a bit of time flying back in the day. I haven't in, in a bit, but... I, I don't know. That's one of the few unique things I'd say <laughs> that I have. That's pretty cool. Well, pilots are cool. My next door neighbor's a pilot, ex-military, and then flew commercial for many, many years. In fact, the neighborhood I live in has a very large percentage of pilots in it, which is very odd. Interesting. I don't, I don't know why, but a lot of Alaska Airlines pilots here and, and other airlines, but mostly Alaska Airlines. So yeah, kind of fun. And every time I get on a flight, I kind of look in the cabin and go, is that one of my neighbors inside there? And Every once in a while, I'll see somebody I know. So that's a little bit reassuring, I guess. You know, I don't know how good they are, but they, they're still here. So when they say about a, a landing, any landing is good if you can walk away from it. So they have good taste in neighborhoods. So they've got that. There you go. Yeah, we're all having fun here uh, in uh, lovely Pacific Northwest, which is beautiful this morning. Well, let's get started. Let me give you a proper introduction. Brad Rosen is the COO of Nodar, the leading provider of camera-based 3D vision technology. Their product is a crucial component in the development of ADAS and autonomous vehicles, bringing safety, advanced performance, and cost-effectiveness to the automotive market and people like you and me. Nodar's award-winning 3D vision platform called Hammerhead, I like that, considering uh, we're both ex-surfers, hammerheads, we know about those, uh, delivers reliable, ultra-precise, and real-time 3D sensing at an ultra-long range, up to 1,000 meters, providing better-than-LiDAR 3D data at the price point of camera technology. Nodar was founded in 2018, is backed by New Enterprise Associates and Rhapsody Venture Partners. We'll be back in just a moment to learn more about the future that's here today. But first, a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks, or if we're talking EVs, uh, the charge in the car. We'll be right back. Are you wondering what your collector car is worth these days? Are you thinking about buying a collector car? I know who can help. My friends at Classic.com will help you stay on top of the market so you know which similar vehicles are out there, what they're selling for, what you should pay, and how to price your vehicle. Go to classic.com slash garage, enter your vehicle's information, specs including the year, make, model, mileage, and options, and they will provide you with a list of recent comparable sales. Their powerful search engine is up to date, finding new listings, tracking sales and keeping you informed, providing data so you can make the right decision. If you're selling a vehicle, they can help as well with their Classic.com Pro Division, steering you to a qualified professional who will help. Finding the right vehicle and selling your vehicle is all about timing 
and exposure. So what are you waiting for? Go to classic.com slash garage and give it a run. That's classic.com slash garage and tell them Mark sent you. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So Brad, we are back. So before we get into Nodar and the amazing things you are doing, what got you to this point in your career? I mean, I've always been, you know, technology leaning, even as a little kid, just really, really into technology and software, writing software, got an engineering degree, wrote software in my first few jobs. That's been my track. And I moved from being an engineer into more product oriented roles. And uh, along the way, I, I realized I had a particular interest in what I would call hard tech or stuff that has, has some sort of challenging component like algorithms or radio, you know, RF, you know, um, communications or these types of things. So I've done a few startups like that. I've done seven venture-backed startups. Oh, wow. You're a brave guy. Yeah, I love the early stages and the rush of the up and figuring out what to do on the uh, the down moments. Um, you know, it's just all, it's super exhilarating. And I, you know, some people don't appreciate risk, but I actually sort of thrive around it obviously so yeah I've done, I've done a couple things related to sensors a bunch of hard tech a lot of software and early stages my thing so i i had sold a company a few years ago that i was running and i was looking at this particular industry autonomy not just terrestrial autonomy but also like airborne like air taxis i'm super enamored with that space but i had decided that you know that was going to take a little bit longer than my my time horizon for my next thing so anyway i ended up through a stroke of luck, meeting my co-founder, Leaf, and uh, he also was building for this market, and we decided to join forces. Wow, amazing. Well, thank goodness we have people like you, the disruptors, the risk takers in the world, because that is a uh, not a feel for many people. It's just way too scary and not knowing if tomorrow's going to be here or not. Um, the guests I had on yesterday talked about that uh, in the challenge question, uh, having been in companies where the very the next day you don't know how we're going to make payroll the end of this week and you know raising yes. capital and all that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's gnarly. But this is very cool what you're doing because this EV world, autonomous world has come Coming on us so fast, it, my head's spinning. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. So let's talk about Nodar, what it's all about, the fact that you guys are bringing about 
technology that supersedes old LIDAR type technology and, and your your uh, capabilities are way above my pay grade here uh, at Cars Yeah about what you're doing in the technology side. Let's talk about what you're doing, why you think it's important, and I'll have a couple of questions for you as we get through this. So you take it away. Nodar. All right. I'll try to do it in a succinct and understandable way. So the basic idea is that uh, every year there are hundreds of thousands, if not, I think, millions of deaths related to car auto accidents every year. And I think, um, you know, while some people might argue, I firmly believe that the more we can apply technology and automation to the driving uh, scenario, the, the more lives are going to be saved. And so basically autonomy in the automotive sense started around the the DARPA Grand Challenge, which was early 2000s. And that's when we kind of identified that cars could drive themselves with computers. uh, But to do that, an absolute requirement is 3D information, real-time 3D information so the car knows what's around it and how to navigate. And so that kind of spurred a massive investment in LiDAR technology because LiDAR is able to provide very precise 3D sensing around a vehicle. But LiDAR as we've learned, has a lot of shortcomings. It's super expensive because the optoelectronics to detect and measure photon photons at photon speeds, speed of light, is very, very expensive. And then um, you have to do that with lasers and you have to do it very rapidly. It all adds up to being very expensive and also very low resolution. So the, the lasers typically scan the scene, it takes time. And at the end of the day, you have to aggregate these scans until you've got a picture of the scene. And that that can take a bit of time and it's very low resolution. So as we start to think as a society about vehicles that will drive themselves in a way in which the human doesn't have to pay attention. So that's like uh, we say level three, right? Level three, the difference between level two autonomy and level three is with level two, which a lot of us have in our cars, you have to pay attention. It makes mistakes. You have to touch the wheel every 30 seconds. Some of the newer systems like uh, Super Cruise or whatever are watching your eyes to make sure you're not diverted. Um, and yet we've still seen um, a fair amount of, of, of lethal crashes, right? And I won't name any names, but there are in the news every week now we're hearing about it. So that's a, this is a long way of, of backing into my co-founder, Leaf, uh, after getting three degrees at MIT in lasers, basically, and building LIDARs for 13 years at MIT Lincoln Labs had the, the assertion that LIDAR, while it's a great tool, wasn't necessarily the best tool for passenger vehicle autonomy because of the cost, the resolution, the performance, the resilience. There's like a lot of reasons. So he set out to come up with a way to provide reliable 3D information to autonomous vehicles at a price point that the automotive market can digest, right? Today, Volvo and and, uh, lots of other cars, BMW, are looking at putting LiDARs in to help get them to level three, mind off driving. The bill of materials on those cars is jacked up because those LiDARs are not cheap. Yeah, someday, you know, LiDAR may may be cheap. There are people that talk about $500 LiDARs, but that is not where we're at today. And uh, as we've seen, the timeline has become elongated and continues to become elongated because LiDAR is not ready. So what we have done and what my co-founder started doing, I joined him a year into his journey, is build a 3D vision system based on standard cameras, cameras that are in your car today, cameras that are in your phone, 
we produce over a billion cameras a year as a society. And so these wow. cameras are, yeah, ultra high performance, super low cost, getting better all the time. Cost is going down. They're solid states, so they last 15 years. Like they're a perfect sensing device. Now, the difference between cameras and LIDAR, LIDAR is an active sensor. So it sends out a pulse and it measures, it measures a return. What we do is we are a passive sensor. So we have a, you know, a really, really high resolution array, which is what cameras are. And we just have photons that are emitted from the scene arrive at the sensor. So that's just a difference. And uh, we argue that it's, you know, a passive sensor is sufficient for L3 and above driving. It's incredible how fast all this is happening. And we think about what cars can do nowadays, for instance, self-parking cars, you know, so you don't have to learn how to parallel park. The biggest fear of every 16-year-old getting their license, parallel parking, right? Uh, And still people today just won't. I I know people that won't park that way. They'll they'll drive around the block 10 times to find somewhere else to park. So I kind of laugh at it, but that's the way it is. So when do you expect this a full transition into level three to happen. Is there a, a t- obviously you have a target out there for what you're doing at Nodar, but when do you think this is reality? Yeah, I think level three is coming at us sooner than later. You know, for many years, the the world was enamored with this idea of level four driving, which is like robo taxis taking us places with no driver. And that's definitely happening, but it's happening slower than than everybody had anticipated. And then we saw like Argo was shut down and other companies that are trying to do this cruise has laid off some people, emotional, you know, some delays. Uh, It's a very hard problem. And so what the industry is doing as of like the last six months is repositioning its thinking, our thinking, more focused on taking baby steps, right? So the first is level two, level two plus. Uh, maybe you could punch in an address, and while you're still paying attention, the car will eventually get there, like a Tesla with FSD can do that. So I, I think that we're going to see those baby steps. Now, this year, no, last year, late last year, uh, Mercedes launched an L3 platform in Germany, the EQS, I think. And on in certain situations, on the highway, when the sun is shining and you, know, you have a four-leaf clover in your hand, you can... <laughs> You can read a book on the highway in Germany in one of those cars and not worry about it. And uh, they've just announced that that car is being launched in the U.S., first in Nevada and then I believe in the Bay Area. So actually Mercedes has beat everyone to this level three game, but that's a very expensive car, right? And so the question really is, when does it become not novel and really mainstream? And that's where Nodar is completely centered and focused. How do we get the average car with this level of safety where you don't have to pay attention and the car is taking care of you. And I think in volume, I think we'll start to see around 2027, 2028, a lot of different level three platforms. Wow. It's that just, are affordable. It's incredible. That's not that far away. Exactly. It's very, yeah. very near. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they have a, a seven-year-old we were talking about ICE engines, EVs, and all this stuff happening. And, and this seven-year-old said, well, I'll never drive a car that's powered by gasoline. Exactly. And, I, you know, my first reaction was, you don't want to drive a car? He goes, no, I'll be driving an electric car. You know, and, and you, have, you stop and go, well, that's right. This kid is still years away from getting his license. And by then, things will be really different. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is that that kid may not drive. 
right? Well, like, I was I was about to go there next. Yeah, he may not have to drive after talking to somebody like you. There's a, a term you guys have, stereo vision. Can you explain where that comes into play and how that compares to LIDAR? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, LIDAR emits a pulse and measures the time that photon takes to bounce off something and come back. And that time is proportional to the distance away from of the object. Stereo vision is, is, is an age old technique. Actually, there have been stereo cameras since the late 1800s. And what, what it is, it's, it's more like binocular vision, like your vision. If you put your thumb up and you close one eye and the other eye, you'll see a shift in the two frames or the two uh, images. And that shift is proportional to the distance away uh, of your thumb. And so it's really geometry. Stereo vision is geometry. It's measuring angles from two different um, points of view, two different cameras, and calculating uh, the geometry to figure out the distance. And we can do that basically for 5 million points every frame in real time. Whoa. So wow. 5 million points every frame, which is like, uh, so today we're doing like, um, 10 to 15 frames a second. So 5 million points, 10 to 15 times a second. Jeez. So, yeah, it's unbelievable. And and um, it's really enabled by all of these advances in compute, like silicon. You know, you've got companies like NVIDIA and Umbrella and Intel and building these incredible processors that are dedicated to this type of activity. You know, in a company that uh, involves venture capital and raising money, we're in a little bit of a, a awkward time financially right now. Uh, it's a little bit spooky out there in many ways, but the future is still coming fast and people are still doing things. Your opinion of the economic, I, I won't, I don't know if I should call it a crisis. I guess some people, depending on where you are, if you were banking at that uh, bank up there in Silicon Valley, yeah, you might have a crisis today for sure. But yeah. do you think that is going to play a big part? Because we're seeing layoffs. Facebook announced it again the other day, laying off another 10,000 people. And they do, you know, Google's, Amazon's, um, all these people. Uh, do you see that as a factor of slowing any of this down? Or are we just on a train to just a train to the future that's no stopping it? The train is going to the future. And the train can operate at different speeds, to use your analogy. So, yes, there's a slowdown right now. And it's probably going to last couple years, a couple more years. The Silicon Valley Bank was super unfortunate, but luckily the government stepped in and people are making payroll and, and, and whatnot. We, we got lucky because we, we don't bank there, uh, but we could have easily been banking there. But yes, it, the macro question, is the economy affecting this early stage, super forward thinking development? It is a bit, a bit less because all of these companies know they need to look to the future. And everybody sees the writing on the wall around uh, ADAS and autonomy. But yes, there's a slight retrenchment. There's a little bit less kind of super forward looking R&D and more of a focus on like, what can we do with what we have today? But luckily for us, that's all relevant to what we do because, because our technology is available today and has the promise of saving lives at a reasonable cost. So uh, we personally haven't seen a big slowdown, but the industry is seeing a slowdown. Yeah, most definitely. You mentioned ADAS. How does your technology impact ADAS features? Well, I start with kind of the levels, like level two ADAS, you have to touch the wheel. 
level three ADAS in certain situations, you don't have to touch the wheel. So for that, like I said, you need a highly reliable, high performing system um, that's price compatible with passenger vehicles. So we, we fit squarely into that level three bucket, which everybody is developing for right now. Okay. And when you buy a car, let's say you, in 2028, you'll probably have the option to subscribe to this type of feature set, which is, do you want to have mind off driving on the highway or in traffic? If you do, you can pay a couple hundred dollars a month, hundred dollars a month, and, and they will turn that on over the air, right? So that's, that's how I see it rolling out. And I think that honestly, every vehicle that's equipped with that capability should have Nodar built into it. I honestly believe that, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, I like to ask people about what I call our driving inspirations, people that have been influential in your life or mentors and so forth. Have, have you had somebody like that in your life? I mean, you've worked around a lot of very smart characters. Well, like you, I've worked a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's another way of saying it. Yeah, I, I've had I've had lots of mentors. So I, I, I was thinking about this question. A couple come to mind that are worthy of note. One guy's name was Marty, and he he sat on a couple boards and advised a couple companies of mine. And he ran Lotus one, two, three back in the day. So he's wow. a real operator. He's a no BS kind of a guy, and he really taught me how to kind of cut to the chase, remove the frill, isolate the problem, work the problem, and do it in a collaborative way with a smile on your face, involving your teammates, and in an out-of-the-box thinking type of a way. He's exceptionally good at looking at a problem and just like coming at it from left field, like a different way. And he's turned around, you know, he's run a couple public companies. He's turned around a bunch of companies. Like he's very good at that. And, and I hope that some of that has rubbed off on me over the years. The other guy is my uncle, Marty, who re retired at 35. He was, uh, he was great with math and great with numbers. And he was a super low key goatee wearing super tall guy who just was mellow as they come and nothing ruffled his feathers. He always was looking at the big, the big picture, the long game, like, okay, this person is behaving in an irritating fashion, but who cares? Focus on the long game and, you know, approach, approach life with love and a smile. And uh, he was really, really good at it. Nothing ruffled his feathers. Nice. So I, yeah, I think uh, I could take some lessons from him. That would be a good one. I, too. I get so worked up about stuff. And it's just nice. I often sit back and say, well, what would Marty do? They're both named Marty, by the way. I was going to say a couple Martys yeah. in your life. That's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, it is. Well, you've worked in a, a life of challenge with all these startups. And this is almost a silly question for you, but maybe one that you could share a challenge, a great challenge that taught you an incredible lesson after the fact. Maybe when you're deep in it, you weren't very happy to be there. But these things are important for listeners because our listeners hear this and go, I'm going through something like that. I never thought of it that way. Okay, I'll make it through. It'll teach me something very valuable. Is there a story like that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. And it's particularly relevant right now because of the SVB thing. Um, I'm, I know there are lots and lots and lots of early stage companies out there that didn't know if they could make payroll last Monday. Um, I, I was running a company for which I raised $8 million from venture capitalists and angel investors. And we ran out of money twice. And I had a team and that team was comprised of people with families and kids and 
those were uh, the two most stressful points in my career. And I'm not sure that the way I dealt with it was right or best. I know there are lots of ways of managing through adversity. But the way I chose, which was the only way I could, it's the only way I knew how to conduct myself was to was to share the complete truth with the entire team all the time. And we, we went through this twice. I asked the team to not take salary until I could go find money. And in both cases, I did find money. And not everyone stuck around. I, I'll be honest, you know, people get antsy and they go find other jobs and that that was fine. But um, as we came through it, each time, the, each person on the team would take me aside and say, I just, I wanted to thank you for being totally transparent about where we were, you know, and I, and, and, and giving me the option to go find another job. And I'm super glad I didn't, you know, and I heard that time and time again. So I would advocate for transparency in these situations, but I know at a large company that might not be viable, but that was learning for me. You know, it's a great way to, I think it's the only way to go. And we've, we've heard of this recently with some big tech companies that just all of a sudden Monday morning, you're locked out of your computer. You're like, what happened? What, you know, and even I know people that that happened to, and even their bosses didn't know. They had no idea and terrible. Well, SVB. I mean, I, I've spoken to reps at SVB and they didn't know what was coming. It was a complete surprise. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure the the guys at the top did. Well, I'm sure they knew. Hearing yeah. something. Yeah. But I think it's much better to be transparent and let people know. And yeah, that's just, that's the only way to do it. And uh, I've been in that situation. My wife was in that situation when we bought our first house and her boss couldn't pay her. She worked for free for four months. And he just kept saying, I will turn this around. I'll fix this. Please stay with me. And pretty much everybody left and it paid off for her. And uh, it worked out. Luckily, we could afford to do it. It was some scary times, though. You know, we were young, new baby, new house. And it's like, uh, how many more months is this going to go on for? Like, yeah, yeah. Spooky times. But that's uh, a great lesson for everybody listening, um, mostly young people. Build a runway. Live below your means. Invest. Save. Have money for that rainy day that mom always told you about. That's why piggy banks were designed for kids to learn about saving for the future. So great lesson. So I want to talk about cars a little bit with you. I'm guessing you're a bit of a car guy because you're on Cars Yeah. Is there one special vehicle in your life that stands out? Yeah, definitely. And you were talking about, you know, traveling around when you were younger. I, I uh, in college, I got a Volkswagen GTI. Oh, I love I it. Loved. I loved it. It was an amazing car to drive. I actually I drove it on a track through the BMW Club of America a few times, took some driving, some racing lessons in it, drove it to both coasts a few times. I hit a deer in oh, uh, no. the Grand Canyon in it. It was terrible. On my way to California, um, so sort of lived through that. The one story that makes me use this car as the example is that one day I was in the Bay Area. I was heading to Ocean Beach to surf. I had my surfboard on the top of the car, which you'll appreciate. And I was <laughs> yeah. wearing a repair, repair of shorts. I was a software engineer, repair of shorts and an old shirt. Um, driving over the Bay Bridge, and I look over to my left, and I remember clearly seeing someone with a mask on, like the kind of masks everyone wears now. But at that time, it was quite uncommon. And I remember looking up and seeing a streak of black clouds going across the sky. And um, I turned on the radio, and I, I learned that the whole of the Oakland Hills was ablaze. Oh, that fire. Yeah, oh, and yes. so the house that I had just left and had been living in, renting a room, burned to the ground. 
Oh my gosh. The only thing I had to my name was that car, the surfboard, some shorts, a shirt, and a bathing suit. Well, that's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. That's what, that was my learning. Oh my God. What year was that GTI? Uh, 89. 80s? Yeah, I was going to say 80s. Yeah. <clears throat> my wife and I, our first new car we bought after we were married was a Volkswagen a GLI, which was the four-door version of the GTI. And yeah, that was a pretty cool car. I mean, the GTIs, you think about that and how they've evolved over time, all the way up to the R2s and R, you know, just really fun cars. But oh my gosh, yes. the fire. Yeah, I rem- that fire, that was... uh. Wasn't that, I remember hearing a story about a guy who had cars and in his garage up in the hills there. And the one car he saved was he had a, a vintage Formula One car and he actually got in it, fired it up and drove it down out of Berkeley. Oh That's, my gosh. He had to pick one and he picked that car. Yeah. To get out of there. But uh, yeah, those fires, well, the California fires, I mean, poor California has to deal with that all the time. It just seems to be never ending. We, we get our share up here too. How's the other end of the spectrum with snow? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I've never, yeah. The snow this year, that's, it's pretty incredible and it just keeps coming. So, uh, they're going to be digging out for a long time. So I'm going to be a car psychologist. I'm going to crawl into your skull a little bit here. If you were reincarnated manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? It was a toss up, Okay, (laughs) but I really love the old Land Rovers and I, there's like a lot about them, like a 1994 Land Rover Defender. I just, I dig that car. Yeah. It's a no BS Super hardworking, no games, no beating around the bush car. Uh, but also in the same moment, it's extremely charismatic and stands out and turns head. And, you know, people like it garners respect and, you know, people are just like, what is that? So I, I love that that car and that, you know, kind of what it at least what it stands for in my mind. Yeah, the Defenders become a classic, and I've had several guests on the show that, like a lot of companies are doing now, they take the old ones and they retrofit them into a, basically, they look the same, but they're all new. Some of them even yeah. have LS engines underneath them. I mean, they they just make them more drivable, I guess, uh, because some of those were a little rough to drive around in. So, uh, but yeah, they're loved by a lot of people. Is there a great book that you'd like to share with us? Could be car-related, could be business. I have lots of books that I've loved recently, um, but just because we're on this show today, I'm going to share that I, I love the book American Icon recently about Alan Mulally and Ford and, you know, the way he came in in 2008 and, you know, in the face of extreme adversity and a bunch of like corporate culture nastiness, he basically just re-architected the company from the ground up and implemented a a completely different philosophy, which ended up benefiting the company greatly. I, I loved, I just loved reading that story. Yeah, it's awesome book. And of course, he did uh, somewhat of the same at Boeing up here in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Awesome book. Great recommendation. So I'm going to enable you today to go on what I call the ultimate drive. I'm going to park any car in the world in your driveway. Fantasy world. Don't worry about the cost. I'm writing the check. You can take it anywhere and you can go with anybody, even somebody that's no longer with us, which opens a world of opportunity for interesting drives. So what does this look like for you? This one was relatively easy. Um, my, my father used to love cars and he had a, you know, one of the Jaguar XKEs, the 12 cylinder. Ooh. So I would choose that as the car and him as, or he as my, my driving partner. Um, and I would be driving on a road that's very special to me from Aspen to Leadville, Colorado. Oh, which is an incredible, it goes over the Continental Divide, um, Independence Pass, and it's one of these classic kind of, 
you know, you'd see it on a BMW commercial, like it's a sweeping S-curve road going down a super steep, you know, mountainous face down into a valley that's got a, a bubbling river, you know, and with massive, expansive Colorado views. Yeah, that those are, yeah, so, and, you know, we'd be, uh, we'd be chatting about my my career probably and and uh i'd be sharing with him the things that have gone right so that he he knew that he did a great job in parenting what a nice trip that jaguar xke was one of those early cars that set the mark for me for cars uh in our pre-show chat i mentioned to brad that my dad had a 49 mgtc but the first matchbox he ever bought me we took that car over to the hardware store his mg and matchbox was relatively new this is the early 60 in the u.s early 60s and my first matchbox i still have it little red xke mm -hmm. and uh yeah that was always like oh that was the car that dad bought me i think it was a quarter which is a big deal <laughs> like oh a quarter dad's gonna spend a quarter buy me a car so uh i've taken yep. good care of that still have the box for it actually as well i like my my prize uh some of the other ones got a little roughed up on the kitchen floor you know but uh that one i still have so nice thoughts there you've taken us on an interesting journey into the future bless you folks that do this kind of stuff because uh you guys make things happen in the world that make life easier for many many people and whether you believe in autonomy or not you've got to admit there's a great place for it in many, many aspects of the world. And uh, I think it's awesome what's happening. I love disruptors. I love change. Before I let you go, could you share maybe a success quote or a mantra or some kind of words of inspiration for us? As if you have not been inspiring enough today. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know about inspiring quotes or anything like that. But in my career, at least I've been, you know, I've been uh, pretty uh, honest with myself about what makes me happy and what drives me and what do I love. And I've I've gone for it relatively relentlessly, um, I, and it, you know that all sounds pretty cliche. You know, the one I, I, get, I, I advise a bunch of companies, and I, I work with entrepreneurs. Anyone, you know, any entrepreneur that wants to wants to chat. I mean, this is my area of passion. Um, but uh, I do give the advice for kids coming out of college to go get go get a job at a larger company to see a framework that works before diving into. I see so many kids that want to go start a company right away. I just think there's a lot to learn and a lot of pattern recognition to absorb. And if you are able to find a great mentor, that has helped me considerably. It just helps you reduce the number of mistakes you make. I mean, entrepreneurship is risky and your whole job is to reduce to reduce the risk of that endeavor. And having like pattern recognition and memories and knowledge of what works and what doesn't work goes much farther than you think it does. Oh, yeah. It's amazing when you come out of an institution, I'll say big company, which is an institution, and you see from the outside what does work great, but more importantly, what does not work well at all. And for right. some reason, sometimes, a lot of times, these big companies, they can't see that. You're so busy. Everyone's rowing. No one's up in the crow's nest yeah. looking ahead. Wait, we're yeah. about to row into the rocks, guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep rowing, you know. So, yeah, yeah, great words. How can people learn more about Nodar? And I'm guessing for you, LinkedIn, perhaps? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place to start. Uh, our website is also good. We, you know, we are nodarsensor.com because we have not yet acquired nodar.com. You know, obviously we're, we're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. We have a Twitter. We're slash nodar on Twitter. 
Um, yeah, I, I think uh, we're easy to find. Please find us. Absolutely. I'll put links to Brad and his company on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Of course, uh, every guest here gets their own show notes page where you can listen, but also links back to their business so you can connect with them and learn about more about what they're doing. And I encourage you to do so because the future is here. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to Dee Dee Rudenstein. Uh, she's brought me several great guests of late. Dee Dee, thank you very much. You're doing a great job. Rad, thanks for spending time sharing this amazing world that you've created for us and what's coming. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you maybe down the road and I'll be in the back seat. The car I'll be driving. Beautiful. Nice to meet you. And thank you very much. This was great fun. You know what? We are all wired differently and not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and one can build a solid career as an auto, diesel, or collision technician. There are no longer blue-collar jobs, they're new-collar careers, as the technology and skill sets have become so advanced. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah! charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!